Welcome to the Revelation Project Podcast. I'm Monica Rogers, and this podcast is intended to disrupt the trance of unworthiness and to guide women to remember and reveal the truth of who we are. We say that life is a revelation project, and what gets revealed gets healed. So hey, everybody. I am so happy to introduce you to Jessica Martin. Jess is a licensed mental health counselor, and she's a certified life coach. But here's what you really need to know about Jess. Jess is somebody who I fell in love with as she was giving a talk to a group of women, and she was actually talking about the neurobiology of trees and their similarity to us as human beings. And I just fell in love with Jess. I fell in love with the way she was talking about all of these interconnected concepts. And I've come to learn that the beauty of Jess is that she's like a mind, body, spirit alchemist. She's pulling often from her intuition. And she does this whether she's talking on a stage or she's working with a client. She's really pulling from anything that's needed in areas of either mindfulness, art, tapping into her somatic understanding of healing in the body. She embraces concepts of collective wisdom and believes that as multidimensional people, we respond best to forms of healing that tap into our emotional, physical, and spiritual selves. She can often be found collaborating with other healers and professionals to offer workshops, life coaching, and support. And I know you're just going to love this conversation. Hey, Jess. That was the best introduction ever. Can, <laughs> can you just follow me around? I can. Yeah. Like, do you want me to like, like theme music? I'll go in front of you with like a megaphone and a marching band. And I'll just give that introduction everywhere we go before we walk into grocery stores, right? Any anywhere. I feel like, right. Wasn't that the thing in medieval times? The like the person would announce the royalty by walking in like, this is so-and-so, son of so-and-so, like, yeah, <laughs> slayer of dragons. Right. Mother of small dogs. <laughs> <Yeah>. Exactly. <laughs> so how are you today? I am, I'm doing well. The sun is out today for the first time in a little while. Yes. And yeah. There, it's some, yeah. It just changes everything when it's sunny. It really does. And for those of you who are listening Jess and I are both based in New England. We're kind of smack. Well, I don't know. I want to be like, are we at the end of COVID? We're like probably smack dab in the middle. We don't really Who know. Who knows? <laughs> I think that the hardest part for us over here on the East Coast is that to add kind of insult to injury, we've really been trapped, doubly trapped indoors because we haven't even had, you know, like hospitable weather. Yeah. It's been like really dismal and cold, and wet. Mm -hmm. All the nice things. <laughs> <laughs> so Jess, I, you know, I have a little, you know, girl crush on you. I'm, mm. I'm not gonna lie. I really, I mean, I could ask you anything this morning. But what I really want to know is what are you, you're always somebody who's like diving into some new exploration. And I'm curious, what are you exploring right now? I went on a nice long hike yesterday. And I feel like I'm one of those people that like four miles in, all of a sudden it's like, oh, and I find myself really, really thinking, like the good thinking. And here's what I was thinking about, this idea of should and like all the stories. So, and as a divine feminine ninja, you know this, we are a creation of all the stories that we've been told about ourselves until we figure out that those are stories we've been told about ourselves and not actually truths, right? And so as I was walking, I was kind of like peeling, right? And I was thinking about like, yeah, so there's there's stories about the way you look, your surface. Those are some of the first stories you hear, right? Like little girls are often complimented on how pretty they are and how cute they are and how sweet they are, not on like how smart they are or how good at sport, like, right? They're not- Yeah, how strong wrong. you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very surface stuff. So a lot of the stories that are are pretty hardly ingrained in us are our first stories. So it's like, all right, so if you peel back the layers of that your value is a direct correlation to your looks, all right, so we've done pretty good as a society really talking about that, weight, body circumference, all this stuff. So all right, so what's underneath that one? 
And then peeling back the stories of what are we allowed to do? So that's career-wise, that's the roles, right? So a lot of gender role stuff. That's our ambition, just really even in the beginning of like what you're allowed to dream about doing. You know, like little boys can say they want to be president. They want to be a ninja. They want to be an airline pilot. And those are all really acceptable answers. And even I can remember as a little girl, and I grew up in a fairly supportive household when it came to this kind of stuff. Like I was always kind of told like I could do what I wanted to do. But if it was like something that was like a firefighter, it was like, mm, really? So like, Are you sure? Yeah. Are you sure? <laughs> and so it's like, all right, so there's like that second layer of all of the stories is like, who who can you be? I think the third layer in there is a lot of how we try to put that all together as if we're responsible for making this patchwork story out of all the stories we've been told. So we're like knitting together all these ideas about who we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to look like, who we're supposed to love, how we're supposed to love, what our, what families that we produce are supposed to look like. And even that idea, do you even want to have a family? Right. So there's like, the more you think about it, there's like thousands of stories that we've been told, all these social constructs. And I think I'm in a spot where I'm really, I'm really trying to individually pick up a story and look at it and say, like, is this a story that fits me? Where did this story come from? Do I like this story? And then choosing whether I want to keep it or not. But I kind of stumbled across this idea of what happens if we're given a blank slate? Like what happens? And it made me think of when you go to those those restaurants that have the menu that's like nine pages long, and they're not really great at, at any particular dish, but they're <laughs> they're pretty good at most of like right. So it's like one of those places where like they're not known for something, but you could probably find like fish and chips and pizza and like clams casino like all the same things right, on one all menu. The things yes, and tacos right, <laughs> and so like and you kind of know that like none of it's going to be spectacular probably fairly consistent and like, yeah. that's okay. I hate those restaurants. Like I get overwhelmed by like page four. I, I'm overwhelmed. I don't, I don't like this anymore. Give me like a one page menu. And I'm like, all right, I got this. Yes. And I kind of was thinking about that. Like sometimes when we start to peel away the layers of all the stories and we're recognizing that there's so many stories to pick from, it's almost like, like choice fatigue. It gets to be too much. And so there's safety and there's comfort in being told the story, being told here are your options, here are your choices. And that got me thinking about like, you know, I was thinking about like why, why change comes easy to some people, why really picking an identity comes easy to some people and other people are like, nope, I want nothing to do with that. I just, I was just thinking about that. I don't really have an answer. I mean, it was just <laughs> like... What I was thinking, you know, as you kind of just were talking about the menu of choices, I was thinking, yeah, like at what point do we actually start to narrate our own story? And it's that idea of at what point do we kind of become conscious of the fact that at any point we have the opportunity to, to start from a a blank slate. There's no rule that says you have to be the same person that you were 10 years ago or five minutes ago. Yeah. Like if you wake up and decide like, you know what, I'm going to be vegan now. It's like, great. Good luck with that. Well, and it's true too. I mean, again, I don't know where we're going with this yet, but I love <laughs> it because this is how you and I roll. Yep. <laughs> but is this idea of identity isn't permanent. Yeah. And oftentimes things that I I like about my identity. And there are other things that feel sometimes very constrained. Yeah. And very kind of, I'd like to set myself free from certain things. And so I'm trying to kind of bring this into an example. Well, I would say that one of the things is like identity has to be fluid. If your identity isn't fluid, that, that means the identity that you pick when you're seven is who you are at 45. Yeah. Like that doesn't make sense, right? Inherently, that's like, that's dumb. That doesn't, <laughs> which means, because that would also imply that you don't grow, you don't change, you don't, you don't take information in and then decide 
what to do from there. So our identity has to be fluid. It has to be malleable. It has to adjust, which is why I think when we get ourselves stuck in these rigid contortions of ourselves, we suffer. That's where a lot of disease comes from. That's where like all these stress-related diseases come from, is us contorting ourselves to fit some rigid picture of who we are as as an individual, as well as that like macro as well, right? So as an individual, if I keep myself in this weird contorted position that's uncomfortable and untrue to who I am, that doesn't work. As a social network, that doesn't happen. That doesn't work. And as a global construct, that doesn't work. So why, why the fuck are we doing it? Well, I'm glad we just decided that this was going to be an explicit podcast. <laughs> Sorry. No, no. <laughs> uh, no, I love it. I love it. So what I'm curious about, Jess, is like the truth closest to you right now about kind of like what got you thinking about that? And like, what kind of came up that had you look at that? Like, did you have a personal experience with it where you kind of bumped up in into some kind of like... I don't want this anymore. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to be known for this, or I don't want this to be part of my identity. I think in the last, the last two years, I've, I've really come to not only embrace my own concepts of divine feminine, but really come to love women on a whole different level. Like that's freedom. When you no longer compete with the people who could be your greatest allies, you are given massive amounts of power and freedom. And I just, I didn't get that. And slowly over the years, I started to get it more and more. But like in the last two years, I've really been like, oh, that's what people are talking about. And I get it. And so I've got a lot of girl crushes, right? Like, And the power that comes from not comparing in a negative way, but comparing in a positive way has been really cool. Like you know, there's this, this chick that I follow on, on Instagram and she kind of like is a friend of a friend. She's really just this badass girl. And she's an amazing rock climber and she rock climbs naked, just <laughs> butt ass naked. And like, and so I'm here's- getting what, such a great visual right now. Yeah. Well, and like her body is amazing, but not in this, like she's muscular. She's a rock climber. This is what she does. Like her- butt and and thighs are like that of a goddess they're they're amazing yeah and they're used for climbing like they're tools she embodies this and so, so when i got beyond the high, the whole like oh but isn't there chafing like isn't that you know like because that's where my brain goes like how oh isn't that hurt but when you get beyond the, the logistics of it her pictures that are taken by most often her um her partner are gorgeous and like how much her body looks like the rock Ooh. because of the way, you know, she's really like hugging its curves. And I was like scrolling through one of her pictures the other day and it was, it was just a phenomenal picture. And I found myself being like, God, I wish I could do that. And then this little voice was like, you can go fucking climb a rock. You know, <laughs> it was like, oh, oh, yeah. You know, it was like this moment of like, oh, oh yeah, I guess I could just go climb a rock and and do it my- and try it right there's something here though that i'm i'm loving so cuz i want to come back to this like so cuz the way that i was hearing you talk about identity was kind of cool that you kind of shifted into this whole like understanding of the divine feminine and all of these girl crushes and that somehow i'm making the leap here and you can correct me if i'm wrong that it's expanded your understanding of what you are capable of based on all of this new exposure. Yeah. I get we're, it. We're the same, right? So that's the thing is that if I compare myself to someone with this idea of look what's possible as opposed to look at how much better they are than you. Or even how we've been trained to be with each other from a young age, which is how you started this, which was surface level. It had everything to do with our looks and our exterior versus who we were. Yeah. 
and who we are. Yeah. And I think we're seeing each other in that divine feminine way for who we are. And that all of these pieces of us get to belong in this space, our strength, our vulnerability, our beauty, mm-hmm. our shadows, like it's all kind of very compelling and interesting and dynamic and rich. And it's, it goes, it goes back to my love of trees. Um, we're all connected. We're, you know, we communicate through multiple different levels. And when one of us suffers, the group suffers. So that translates to if I support one of my tribe members, I support all of my tribe members. If I can look at a woman and be like, she's, she's fucking badass. She's beautiful. She's smart. She is like world changing. She's raising good humans. She like, whatever it is that she is doing, if I can celebrate that in some way, I create more room for other people to not only just step into their power, but also celebrate. Right. And so it's almost like you think of like a sports stadium, the higher the energy goes, it impacts the team. It impacts the experience. It's so great. I love that we're talking about this because there's something too about working in this realm with women. And uh, I think it was Megan Joe Wilson that said on a past podcast that, you know, it's really all about context setting with women. Yeah. And what I'm finding is that women are circling together in so many ways now. And it's so amazing and wonderful. And of course, we're still in COVID. So even while I was seeing this, you know, in the digital world, as well as in the offline world, I'm, we're seeing it even more now because yeah. we ha- that's what we have right now. And so I feel like women are really actively finding their tribe and stepping into these circles. And what I'm loving about the leadership in the circles and, and circles in general is that there's no hierarchy. It's more, it's this circle. Yeah. yeah, It's organic. It's very kind of like, yes, there's somebody holding the conversation and doing the context setting, but the rest of it is very organic. And when I say context setting, what I'm talking about is this is what we do in this circle. We celebrate women. We're not here to fix each other. This is, this Mm -hmm. is the conversation we're having. And it kind of just sets the guidelines for like, this is how we're going to behave. We're not going to do this comparing shit. We're not going to do this like surface level bullshit. Yeah. Like we're here to actually like celebrate each other. We're here to, and then to watch what happens in that space. It's almost like, oh, right. You see all this expansion suddenly take place with the women in the circle and they just start to come alive in a whole new way. One of the things I'm actually, I'm I'm grateful for with the COVID stuff. And I say grateful from a place of like, I have a roof over my head. I, you know, I'm, I'm safe, but I'm, I'm loving that. It's like every idea we've ever had about what's not possible and what we can't do has been totally turned on its head. We are figuring stuff out on a micro level with ourselves. What are we, what are we capable of? Where are our demons hiding? What, what do we do with difficult things? But the world is figuring that out as well as the world is healing. So I saw on one of the news outlets the other day that the ozone hole over the Arctic, which has been like the big one, has closed, right? And it's like, Mother Nature is a goddamn badass. Like, she doesn't need our help. She just needs us to stop getting in the way. She's a goddamn goddess. Yeah. And so, and we've always been told that... Humans are not capable of doing what we need to do to help her heal. We can't possibly close this down. We can't possibly stop producing that. We can't possibly do this. And it's like, oh, you can actually. You, I loved, you can. I loved the, the meme I saw recently that was like saying something to that effect. And then mother nature says, here, hold my beer. I got this. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> let me show you how this is done. And, mm-hmm. and it's true, right? Like, yes, in some ways, COVID has been this massive ally to mother earth because mm-hmm. it's forced us all to live in a way that is hel- is helping her to heal. And now we're seeing this mirror again like i want to almost go back to this idea of a circle like we're all in this circle where we're 
we're mirroring, we're, we're able to mirror what's happening. Who, who are the people who are saving our ass right now? Women, goddamn women. Like we are the one who, I, I bought a sewing machine and taught myself how to sew because the thought of people that I love being exposed with zero protection was horrifying to me. Horrifying. And I had this really amazing experience of going to a, like a local fabric store, craft store, not knowing what I'm doing. I'm like standing there staring at the assortment of... I've seen that stare before, Jess. Right. Yeah. So staring at the assortment of, you know, sewing accompaniments and also looking to my like left and right. And there were like three or four other women with the same look on our face. And instead of pretending that we knew what was happening, we really like looked at each other and we were like, what type of elastic do we need? I don't know. <laughs> Who are you making masks for? Like there was this conversation and collectively we had like a, dis- it was like a group decision over, okay, I think this is the fabric they're talking about. This is the type of elastic that we should have. Oh, all purpose thread. Yeah. I think that's what you need. Like we collectively decided and then parted ways never exchanging numbers, never exchanging names. Like it was just this like group effort that we came together and decided. And then the cashier who was checking us out happened to be an older woman. She was like, do you guys, we all like walk to the same line, you know, and she's like, do you guys know each other? And we're like, nope. It just, just happened to, you know, bond in the, in the thread aisle um, <laughs> as oh, one does. Love it. And, uh, and she was kind of like, oh, like, who are you making masks for? What hospital? What group? This is awesome. I love this. My daughter works here. Like, that's great. You know, and it was just as like, yeah, organically women looked around and were like, there's a problem and I will figure out a way to contribute to its solution instead of finger pointing and getting upset and saying this isn't good enough or, you know, like we just were like, okay, well, this is what they used originally and it's better than nothing. So I'm going to, I'm going to figure this out. Well, right. It's this idea of like back to this back to this kind of circle concept. Yeah. That like everybody is their own kind of leader mm-hmm. through kind of just this co-creative process, able to look at what the system needs and deliver or create yeah. whatever it is that is wanting to happen. And it's this idea of like, be taking this a little bit too far, but you know, I love this idea of midwifing right? These new concepts into the world because the new world really, because I feel like there is this kind of death and rebirth that's wanting to happen, you know, with so many of these systems that have just been really outdated and crumbling and no longer serving and Mm -hmm. quite frankly, never really served. Right, right. This idea of like when people like, oh, and things go back to normal. And I was like, dear God, I hope we don't go back to normal. Normal was not working. Normal is how we got here. And in fact, I felt... it took me a while to figure out that the deep relief that I felt when this all happened was actually something that a lot of people felt. Yeah. Almost like, oh, thank God, something is forcing us to stop Yeah. this madness, this insanity. Oh, I felt like, oh, you see it too. Right. So as a, ther- as a therapist, I joke that I see the same problem all day long. Because essentially it comes down to contorting ourselves into an identity that doesn't fit, fear of not being loved if we uncontort ourselves, and shame around our past. Like These are the issues that I deal with. It, it doesn't matter what package they come in and what storyline is attached to it. Those are pretty much it. And so I feel like a lot of the work that I've done over the years is trying to like I love that the phrase you just said, like midwifing in new concepts. Like I'm trying to midwife someone's new identity. I'm mm-hmm. trying to help them birth this thing. And I've often felt I can see it. And there's people in my tribe who can see it. But I know the moment they can see it. When all of a sudden it occurs to them that this new identity that they have been hungering for is, is possible. And it's close enough that it's real. And I almost felt like there was something of that when COVID kind of became real. 
so in like in that beginning stage of of grief almost like that denial and then we were angry and then there seemed to be this like hunkering down and this concept of like okay this is real and this is what we're going to have to do and this is the changes we we're going to in, in, instill and like and like on a personal level, not necessarily our government doing it, but like on a personal level. And it was a relief and like, oh God, good. You see it. You see that this is possible. You see that there's potential here. You see this thing that I can see too. And it felt like an immediate bond with people. Like those women in the in the sewing aisle, there was this bond of like, you see it too. And I think that it's true that when we are you know, if we can kind of like rewind and we're like, when we were normalizing all of this stuff, mm-hmm. like all this hectic, mad, crazy, insane way of living, yeah, that it's almost like no one, there was a certain level of unconscious behavior, like it was so unconscious. So if somebody because because it's true that like, there are times where I've had a complete meltdown about it. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't like everybody was in the same place to talk about the same yeah. madness, the same insanity. It, it was like and and COVID has created the environment for us to all look at each other and just be like, we can do better. We can so do better. Well, and if you think of like going back to this midwife concept of like thinking about when you were having babies, who could you talk to? Who did you turn to? Who was supportive? Who wasn't supportive? You know, when you were a new mom, who could you talk to? Who was supportive? Who did you not talk to? Right. And it was all about being seen and being accepted and truth and honesty around what it's like. Oh my God. Yes. It, there, that's such a great example, Jess. And to take that a step further, I, especially as a new mom, right? Mm-hmm. It was like yeah. never done it before, had no idea. It's like nobody told you about all of the hard parts, all of the like really life changing, talk about identity shifting mm-hmm moments where you're just like, who the hell am I now? And what the hell just happened to my body? Mm -hmm. What do you mean? Like, you just could see the writing on the wall. And it's like the dawning horror of like, oh, my God, this is my new life. Until (laughs) you you talk about it at first. No, you can't. You're consumed with almost like this multi layered with grief and body dysmorphia and like all this stuff that just and nobody warns you about that. All the while you're choking on this idea that motherhood is perfect and that it's going to be this is what you have to do. And yeah, right. Wow. Well, you know, and I'm curious too, as we kind of keep circling this identity idea, I often think, I often wonder if there's not kind of two things going on. Absolutely. There's one kind of theory that I have that it's really about removing all of the layers of like the social conditioning and like getting back to the essence of who we are. Yeah. But then there's the, but then there's also kind of this idea of unbecoming so that you can become anything. Yeah. Anyone. And you have to grieve that first. You can't just like dump that. You have to grieve it. You have to look at it. You have to like cut the cords and mourn it and love it before you can put it down. I love that I can hear the uh, wind chimes in the background. (laughs) And somebody just came in and was like, Jess, (laughs) don't you love like that's the other thing too about COVID. It's like it just makes everybody keep everything real. Oh, God. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that was sorry about that family argument in the background. Right, right, right. Yeah, I saw one of my neighbors the other day. Like she was walking her dogs, and I was in the yard with my dogs, and we both had this like eye contact and realization that it was like eleven thirty, and we were in our pajamas. <laughs> and it was like right because pants are yeah, yeah no optional, <laughs> especially <laughs> when you're zooming. You know, I like yeah. the business on the top, and you know, pajama party on the bottom. Yeah, yeah. So good. Right. And like, I mean, I think that's it is like when we're faced with really difficult things, the immediate stuff we put down is a lot of the nonsense without even really being aware of it. It's like the immediate energy 
expansion is like, I, I can't. Nope. No time for that. Uh-uh. So Jess, I want you to talk about the trees. You know, I always fall in love with you again when you talk about <laughs> the trees. But what I really want to do is kind of bring this concept back into the divine feminine. And, yeah. you know, even this idea of like uh, circling and support yeah. and identity. So like, I know you can riff on trees forever. So Oh, God, I love them. I just built you the little platform. Now you go, girl. <laughs> why do you love trees? I think my where I always start and why I love trees so much is the concept of strength and the layers that you can see there. And their represent their representation of like masculine and feminine and, and coexisting and and all these these concepts that are like just constantly being repeated and constantly being seen is that if you look at our oldest trees and even just like letting your mind, your imagination wander around what they have survived, whether it's storms, fires, man-made disasters, um, using them for stuff. It's like they've survived so much and it's because they are malleable. It's not because they are hard. It's, it's that they have this constant sense of adaption. So if you were to take a pocket knife, right, and go up to a lot of different trees, you can cut through their bark, you can you can hurt them, you can cut off limbs, you you can physically hurt a tree very easily. But that tree will also survive a blizzard. So it's this kind of like concept of like women are like that. Oftentimes our our surface is softer. It's how we adapt to each other. It's how we bond to each other. It's how we raise babies. It's it's all of it. It's like our our surface is is softer. But when you look at who survives and who keeps communities going and who really keeps giving, it's women. And so I love this idea of them trees, them being a source of a model of strength for women where oftentimes we're given a very masculine definition of strength of being hard. Mm. And when we try to do that, we actually lose our strength. When I think of all the times in life where I have forced a sense of exterior hardness in order to be tough, I was exhausted. I was so exhausted by the end of it those times in my life often ended with like breakdowns because I just couldn't, I couldn't hold it anymore. And so I think a lot of women can probably identify with that of like, where do you get your power from? Is it from being hard? Is it from being in your masculine and not in a healthy masculine, right? That's the thing is like when we're trying to embody our masculine to be tough, oftentimes what we're embodying is the bullshit masculine that men are fed. Yeah. So we're not really even embodying our healthy masculine, which is amazing and helps give us boundaries and it's what helps us push through and self-discipline and all those things that we need. Men are fantastic. Yep, all the structure. Yes. All the structure, right? And so but we're fed the the same bullshit idea that men are fed of this concept of like and I hate toxic masculinity because it's like well, masculinity isn't toxic. But like this construct of being hard, being tough, not being part of their community, uh, pretending they have no emotions, all this stuff that that when we look around, it's like, what's wrong with the world right now? I think, you know, I've started to recognize that distorted masculine feels like a, like a more true kind of like statement. Yeah. You know, when you think about like, because a distortion is like when we think something is supposed to look a certain way or or it's distorted from how it how it its original nature yeah and that i think you know is what we're calling kind of the man box the man box yeah, culture yeah, right yeah. yeah where men are and the same for women right where there's this distorted feminine which is what you'd started off by talking about which is where women are raised to compete uh, where women are raised to be threatened by each other, mm -hmm. where women are raised to, you know, isolate, to disconnect from their emotions. We're pruned. Right. We're kind of like 
Exactly. All of those essential parts of us are pruned off. Yeah. Uh, But I love the word prune because that's where there's also the possibility for extreme growth. Right. So there's a, I can't remember the term for this, but there's a, an actual like scientific term. When you look at trees and you look at the, the tops of trees and you kind of where they're, they're all growing together, they will self boundary. I wish I remembered the actual term for this. Um, so the trees, their, their branch tips will not grow into each other. They organically give each other space in the wild, like trees in a forest, like they will, they will grow to give each other space. And I love this. They don't compete. There's a shared sense of like, that's your space and this is my space and we're going to keep growing up. I love that. And so it just adds another layer to that concept of death and rebirth in nature, of that trees follow seasons of not just like you know spring, summer, fall, winter, but also the season of their life. So as trees die and they fall over and they let more sunlight down into the ground, baby trees grow up further as the tree decomposes, it feeds the forest. So like you've got all these seasons going. And I love that. I love looking at that and looking at life cycles of humans. It's like, but we haven't quite figured out the concept of boundaries being healthy. We seem to oscillate between having boundaries that are super porous and they don't really help us. And All right. Well, I've got super a great rigid. I've got a great metaphor for this. Yeah. Do you remember yeah, yeah, yeah. do you remember that book uh by Shel Silverstein, The Giving Tree? Yes. Okay. I just I just can we just I hated that book so Hate much. It. And Hate okay, it. okay. Okay. Because I loved it growing up, but I couldn't figure out why the end bothered me so much. Right. Like right. I loved the concept until yeah. till she ended up being a stump. And then I was like, what in the actual fuck just happened? I remember I have two nephews who are both under the age of six. And so um, my own son is 17. So as those boys got older and my son got older, I started looking at a lot of his children's books and either passing them down or buying them books because my kid and I bonded over books so much that I love this idea. And my nephews love being read to. And I remember picking up that book and, and being like, oh, the giving tree, loving trees. And like, oh, and then like flipping through. And just and like, being horrified. Right. And like, as I got to the end, I was like, oh, 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 right. She, like, and then, like, like she gave everything of herself right. until there was then, nothing left but a stump right. for him to sit on. Right. I was I like, oh, I have the chills right now. I have the full body chills because it she it was a woman and yes. and she was giving to a boy who became a man. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my God. Give Why everything does of you. Think this is a beautiful book, right? I remember putting it down and being like, "Oh, they're not reading that book." <laughs> you know, it was like, yeah, it was like, wow, talk about constructs of motherhood being toxic, and constructs of just the female male dynamic. Period. Right. right. I mean, like that's the things. Like there are so many layers of this. But, but that it's it's so unconscious that we would look at it like a beautiful, wonderful book and keep giving it as a gift yeah. and reading it to our children without kind of like, and I don't know when it was just that like I got to the point, I know I was an adult though, where I was like, oh, well, it's like, that's the game that we hand around to each other with this knowledge that it's toxic, but some of us don't realize just how toxic, right? So- it's like it's like the construct around weight and shame and worth. So if you are at a group a group table, right? And and the first, at, at a restaurant and if the first woman says something like, "Oh, I would love to have tacos, but it's it's swimsuit season, so I'm just going to have this salad cuz I hate my thighs and like who wants to see a whale at the beach?" And so automatically, this tone has been set. I've, the, the, the gauntlet has been thrown. Are you going to agree with me or, or not? 
what are you going to do? So the next person who's going to order, say she wanted a freaking burger. Now all of a sudden she's like, oh, well, do I love my thighs? Am I allowed to eat this way? Should I have a salad? Oh, right. So like this is unconscious, like we're putting it out there. And so if you would just imagine, like there's a few scenarios here, right? So like if that second woman is like, fuck that shit, I love my thighs and I'm going to have a burger because I want to. She's breaking the cycle right there. She's offering a different narrative. But say the entire table is ordering salads and you're the last person and you really did want the burger with fries. Like, Are you going to order that? Because right now the social construct is you need to join the group of thigh-hating women in order to be accepted. Well, it's 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 such a great point. It's like, because chances are you're right. And I would love to say that the odds are increasing that you would have a woman yes. at your table that would actually shift that narrative. Right. But then you look and like, you take that dynamic and you look at families. How many women are inheriting the story of whatever, whatever story it is, right? This is how I started of like, some of our stories are so ingrained, we don't even realize they're stories. We've just, they're just truth to us because they've been there forever. Gender roles, what you're like, all of it. You know, I was watching something on, on Netflix the other day and I recently have really loved like period shows. Oh not God, not about love, menstrual I, cycles, no. but, yeah. <laughs> but, but time periods. Right. Um, and they're all, every single woman in them is a nurse, a teacher, or they've married well and are a philanthropist. Three roles. That's it. And it like took me watching like a second or third kind of like period drama where I was like, wait, this is a show about nurses again. Mm-hmm. And nurses are God, like they are our backbone right now. This is not an anti right, but it's that socially chance, like, acceptable yeah. kind of like profession for women, especially in in period pieces. You know, and they all hope to marry the doctor. Oh God, yeah. And it was like you know, and like at first it was like loving the show, and then by like when all of a sudden the plot line became Mary starting an affair with the doctor, it was like oh, you've lost me again. I know. I know. It's like, it's so old. It's so boring. Right. But but here's one thing I do want to say, Jess, is that as much as I'm seeing that change, like I say up here, like meaning with women who are in their, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, right? I'm seeing, I'm seeing it change. Actually, I'm seeing a lot of conversations shifting. Yeah. One thing that's also true is that, you know, I've raised a very strong young woman, right? Yeah. And when her group when her when the when those teenagers circle i find myself really inserting my voice because the narrat to disrupt the narrative yes for example yesterday we were all out on the lawn six feet apart right of course don't want to get any covid police on me the girls they're all like laying in the sun and i come out and they're like ah you know they they like love me but they're a little afraid of me too because i come out with some things that they're just like (laughs) because you are divine feminine ninja (laughs) so sometimes they're just like uh, i I really love her but she kind of scares me um (laughs) and and I can tell, right? Because they like, yeah. they they love talking to me. And I, my poor daughter, she's just kind of like, oh God, what's she going to say? <laughs> um, but at some point they were like on the lawn discussing, I guess there was like, you know, whether or not one of their friends that they had enough time to go and pick her up because she's not driving and blah, blah, blah. And they were making up all these stories about how they were going to like deal with it and how they were going to tell her. And I was just one of them. The whole thing came down to like, no, we're not. And and I was like, stop right there. No, the answer is no. Mm -hmm. No is a complete sentence. And actually, I said no is a complete fucking sentence. And of course, it sent them off into gales of laughter. And they could not get over that concept that like no was a complete sentence that they didn't have to defend their decision to not go and pick their friend up. But they were trying to figure out how to deliver the information gently or construct or construe a not true story in order to address why. But it made perfect logical sense. They didn't have enough time to go and get her to come back to where they were laying out. 
right? It's like, oh my God, you guys, so much drama. Right. But like, this is what we do as women too. It's just this, like, I don't want to hurt her feelings. I don't want to this. I don't want to that. It's, it's mostly, I want to say well-intended, but it's, it's, it's well-intended it malice. such, it creates such mess, such unnecessary messes in well, all where, the ways. And it's when we give away our power because like, I love that you walked in and disrupted that narrative because that's part of it is like when one tree is infected, all of them can be. Yeah. And, and that's where it's like, as women, it's like, we, we have the power to create ripples in ways that are just, just so beautiful. So even if, even if the only thing they will ever really take away from any interaction ever with you is that sentence, that's That's still amazing. That feels pretty damn powerful in this moment. Yes. Right. And I think that's where the micro of our decision-making, the micro of our storytelling is so important. And we don't necessarily have to focus on these giant macro concepts. That's masculine. Real change is made in in the minutia. It's made in the tiny details. When we change a little bit of the pattern, when we change a little bit of how we're weaving this together, that's where the ripple comes from. If we're preaching from these giant pulpits and we're trying to affect change in the macro, we miss it. Change is not made in these giant leaps. It's in unraveling the story. It's in changing a detail. It's in challenging a thought. And my whole, that whole story about uh, Alyssa Neal is the woman's name. The rock climber. Um, I was going to say, and do you know what her Instagram handle is? Oh, gosh. Uh, her name's Alyssa. She's actually also um, she's also a, a dietitian who focuses a ton. She's actually amazing. You would actually love her. Well, I don't know why I've never thought of this before. Yeah. She's a dietitian who specializes in women's needs and promoting healthy periods and embracing concepts of power around and identity around this stuff. Yeah. She's actually... Um, and she was actually born in Rhode Island, I want to say. Alyssa Neal is her name. Alyssa's A-L-Y-S-S-A. She's she's beautiful and fantastic and a goddess. But part of like part of the change in me when when that little voice was like, Well, go go find a rock to climb. You know, it was just like it wasn't huge. It was just this tiny whisper that instead of asking who I thought I was or that I couldn't do that. It was just this little tiny voice that went, well, why not do that? Why, why not? Why not find someone to take a picture of you like that? Uh, why not? It was, you know, it wasn't that I was like, let me change the entire fabric of my life, but it will, it could. That one little decision is going to change the tur- the trajectory of things. And if you think about a flight, if you think about a plane leaving Logan Airport, changing the trajectory a tiny bit really impacts if you're going to land in Norway or South Africa. Like, you know, there's yeah, a massive yeah. there's a massive difference in those destinations. But we're we're starting from the same spot. So these little tiny shifts. Yeah, it's these little tiny shifts. So I am looking at Alyssa Neal. Did you say she's a holistic registered dietitian? Yeah. Okay. So this is her. Interesting. Oh, this is fascinating. So everybody, it is Alyssa, A-L-Y-S-S-A underscore Neil, N-E-I-L-L. And interesting. So she's an RDN. Uh, Theomania. What's that? I don't know. I'm looking on Instagram right now, but these oh, yeah, yeah, photographs yeah. are fascinating. Right. So if you're looking at hers right now, that photo with the sun rising behind her and she's in the doorway, it's fucking breathtaking. Yeah. Well, all of these are. Like, oh, yeah. They're just so unapologetic and so. Yes. You know, like there's so much strength, but there's so much beauty and tenderness and like vulnerability because this is not like, you know, she's, she seems like she's a, a tiny little thing, but yet no. she she's not right. <laughs> yeah. In some of these photos though, she looks 
it's just cool that they're able to kind of like express all these facets of who she is through these photographs. Right. And I think whether you agree with her expression or not, the fact that she is expressing is awesome. Yeah. Like she's in that, like you said, unapologetic. She's not asking you to like her. Mm-hmm. And and out of all the people who are now going to hear this name and go look up her Instagram, there might be people who are like, ah, too much, too much for me. But that's fine. Like that's your choice to feel that way. But that doesn't mean we should censor her. Ever. Ever, right? So like that's the thing is like so much of our power is given away in trying to censor other people for what they reveal in us as opposed to the real power, which is dealing and healing and seeing what is in you that's being triggered because that's the only power you have. We have zero, zero control over other people. Well, and there's the Revelation Project in a nutshell. Yeah, right. It all comes back to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and I love and I've so loved like I now I'm, of course, wanting to sit here to all my listeners seeing like, see, I told you so. I just, <laughs> it I just, is like, but that's it. I love, I love these conversations because you just, I could talk to you forever because you take, you know, like what I love most about you, Jess, is that you like, you are also very unapologetic and you take us places, you know, with your, the way that your mind works and then the way that you embody and the way that you authentically struggle or, you know, like express yourself or, you know, find, right? Like you're constantly finding sources of inspiration and pulling all of these pieces together. So I just want to thank you so much for just, you know, showing up today. Thank you. Yeah, for, you know, even though this we had to try a couple of times <laughs> <laughs> to make this happen. And um, congratulations on your new podcaster microphone. Because yes, yeah, I'm sure if there are any listeners out there that, you know, I, I want you to know that Jess has her own microphone and that <laughs> she too could be a guest on your podcast. Fancy as fuck. Yeah, I know. Fancy as fuck. So uh, anything that you want to say to our listeners just to kind of wrap up this amazing journey of a conversation? Do you want to come full circle? I kind of want to tell people, just go outside today. Whatever day it is that you're listening to this, just go outside, like take a deep breath, look around and realize the perfection that exists right there. That perfection and that flower and that blade of grass and that tree is you because you are made of the same goddamn stuff that it is. That's it. That's my closing message. You are fucking perfection. (laughs) I love putting explicit on my podcast episodes. I think that's going to be the criteria moving forward. It's like if you can't, if you can't fucking swear, you can't come on my podcast. Five F-bomb minimum. Yeah. Oh my God. (laughs) So good. Thank you, Jess. And uh, more to be revealed. If you're someone who is interested in working with us in a deeper way, please visit our website to learn more about how you can begin the process of unbecoming and remembering. Please enter the code podcast in the checkout to take advantage of special offers on any of our online courses, workshops, or online monthly memberships. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information, please visit us at jointherevelation.com and be sure to download our free gift, subscribe to our mailing list, or leave us a review on iTunes. We thank you for your generous listening. And as always, more to be revealed.